Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Level Up Human, the comedy science podcast, souping up the homo sapien. Hello humans, welcome to episode 5 of Level Up Human Extra, where we try and go a little bit more behind the headlines and figure out what science is happening now that will affect our future. I'm Simon Watt, and we're joined by, of course, producer Rachel Wheelie. Hello, I'm excited to go through the science news making a difference to the human race. You see, that was proper positive sounding, wasn't it? Yeah, I am positive about it. We're coming it's the from... only bit of hope in the news. That's we're... what we're covering. Well, the bit I'm really enjoying is we're coming from a new studio. So rather than uh, Rachel's kid's bedroom, we're now in Rachel's new house, sat on tiny, tiny chairs because nothing <laughs> else is unpacked yet. We are surrounded by packing cases That's... and uh, just chaos. But I've kept us in the kid's room because I think it, it helps with the playful nature of the podcast anyway um let's get on with it what what have we got to talk about today well farming the pair of us seem to have something along the lines of farming do you want to go first with your one? Oh yes well i have a space salad that's the first thing i want to talk about what on earth is space salad well so as we do more exploration of space we're going to have to grow our own fruit and veg and food right yeah so at the moment, in the International Space Station, they are experimenting with some new crops. They're growing Mizuna mustard, Waldman's green lettuce, and outrageous red romaine lettuce. They're growing them in a sort of hydroponic veggie plant growth chamber. And it's a, it's a brand new thing that they've been able to make cut and come again salad. That sounds amazing. I suppose they're also guaranteed, or are they guaranteed to not have the pesticides? Like what will happen... When someone accidentally brings the first aphid into space. Well, this is the thing, because you're going to go with one on your in your spacesuit, potentially. Yeah. So I, I don't know, but, but it's brilliant because, like, I've tried to grow plants before and generally they all die. Uh, but this one, every plant has 180 sensors on it, relaying information back to the Kennedy Space Center in Florida. Now, that is overkill on the data, <laughs> I think. You don't need 180 sensors. You just... Basil will tell you when it needs watering. It's the most melodramatic plant yeah. on the planet. If it's slightly suffering, it will just be like doing a dying swan out of the plant pond, just being like, please give me water. They'll know when it needs watering. I do always wonder that, because you know the way you go to the 
you go to the supermarket and in a bite of optimism, you buy some of the fresh herbs, mm. some of the ones that come in your pot. And what it basically means is it stays fresh for one day longer until you kill it. Yeah, well, I'm always going to kill it every time. Um, and it's very depressing, actually, that I mostly had children, so I could prove to myself that I could keep something alive. And you're winning so far. So far. So far. As far as I know, they're alive. <laughs> Have you ever been to Morrison's? Yeah. Veg uh, section. They pump dry ice out over their veg to make it look fresh. And smoky, this? surely. No, I haven't. It's seen really this. weird. I don't know what the benefit of pumping dry ice over well, uh, courgettes is, but they do it. It might be. Um, well, this actually definitely isn't it, but this is going to be something that, that you know would make sense. Is that dry ice is of course carbon dioxide, so you're giving them more carbon to ah, feed on, maybe? Ah, yes. That's not the case. That is definitely not the case. It probably just looks oh. quite cool. Was that a bit of speculative science there? Oh, no. Like, it's the kind of thing that would be true. Like We know that plants would grow theoretically faster in enhanced carbon dioxide environments. Mm -hmm. Theoretically. But does dry ice have carbon dioxide in it? That's what dry ice is. It's solid ah, carbon so, dioxide. So it is, then. That's the thing. Yeah, but that's not why they're doing it. That is oh, definitely They're not doing it because it looks cool. It, it must be. Have you, have you never, I'm um, just going to look it up and find out. Have you had a chance to play with dry ice? Um, it's kind of like a, it's one of the great joys I mean, of doing STEM education stuff is going to schools and playing with things like dry ice. You can have a vat of dry ice in your van and oh, go around. So yeah, fun. Yeah. I haven't really played with it much. Oh, just pour hot water and you'll create like massive amounts of the smoky vapor. Um, also never travel with it in something like a, like a lift in case you end up just filling it up with carbon dioxide. Because then you would die. That has happened. So you have to carry that up. Yeah, that's a, that's a rule. Anything, anything in a jewer, like something like in liquid a, nitrogen, a, a jewer, it's type of container. A like, How do you spell that? Oh, actually, that's a good question. I think it's D-E... No, D-E-W-A-R. Right. Jewer flask. So you have the dry ice in a jewer flask, well, but dry, then dry you must solid. not take it up in a lift. Yeah, so you don't take it up in a lift and you don't take liquid nitrogen, which you'll have in a jewer flask. Because up in a if lift the either. lift breaks, you will die, is that it? More or less, yeah. Because you'll be stay, you'll be in there for too long. Yeah, so as all these things will sublime or they go into the gas, they stay trapped in the air, they displace all the oxygen and oxygen's kind of useful for staying alive, so you don't want to do that. But look, hold on, if we're on this, so an enhanced carbon dioxide environment can, I believe, make some plants grow faster, which is one of the few good things of something like more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere through um, global warming mm -hmm. um, and climate change stuff. Uh, it's not enough to outweigh the massive damage which is caused by it, however. But yeah, some things will grow faster as a result of this. I've just found an article about it. I know this is a slight diversion, right? But Morrison's Axe's upmarket dry ice theatre on fruit and veg stands. Good job. So they don't do it anymore. Well, I've never seen this. So like, uh, but they are misting machines, which apparently were an attempt by a former chief executive to broaden the supermarket's appeal to a more upmarket audience. Because an upmarket audience love having... Like special effects. special effects on their vegetables. You want to imagine that you've got um, David Copperfield walking out between your basil. Well, it does make me think, like, do they also use a glitter cannon in the meat section? <laughs> or, like, what does the... What? Hey, there's a bit of news, actually, if we're on it. Um, people are trying to discourage people using glitter because that has been noted as one of the the plastics, the microplastic that's ending up in our, yes. in our seas. You should get biodegradable glitter. Can you get biodegradable glitter? You can. Oh, and I can see it. They're made from um, agar, so that's like a seaweed base. So a like glittery seaweed 
This is like perfect for a mermaid costume. This would be ideal. So you'd wear seaweed coated in coated in glitter? Well, I suppose I don't know quite how they're, they're colouring it, but I suppose they're using natural colours and stuff. And then it would just sort of disintegrate when it gets to the sea and it doesn't... Well, not, not just disintegrate, that it would be edible. Like, so if there's things out there which eat seaweed, they'll eat these bits of glitter. They can have a fabulous right. meal. Why on earth are we talking about glitter again? I, I, don't, I, don't I have know. no idea how we got here. We were talking about salad. Ah, right. Uh, yeah, space salad, which I think space it sounds salad. cool, if nothing else. That's a good way of making your children eat their greens. Probably the only way to make people eat salad is to send them somewhere where there is no other food <laughs> other than powder. And then salad is a luxury. But interestingly, they were saying that one of the reasons that they've uh, got this gardening thing going on is that a lot of the astronauts are away from friends and family for many months at a time. And it's very good for their mental health to do some gardening. To do some, seriously? Hmm. And I, I get that. Yeah, but as you say, like if you suddenly accidentally kill it, you're in a lot more jeopardy. Here. Well, then you're very upset and depressed about it. But then you're probably not going to kill it because it's got 180 sensors sending data back to the Kennedy Space Center on the basil. What kind of 180? So the basil is drooping and sort of like crying and yelling at you to water it. Yeah. And in the meantime, you're getting an email from the Kennedy Space Center saying, "I really think you should water your plant. It doesn't look happy." Be like, "I know. Look at it. It looks miserable." What would you choose if you could only have one salad in space? Well, I guess I've got more than one. That's um, I would choose uh, round lettuce. Why round lettuce? Well, there's two things. One is round lettuce is the best lettuce. And the other is that in Sainsbury's, the round lettuces have a descriptive strap line on them, which says tender and mild. Two things are tender and mild, holy infants and Sainsbury's round lettuces. And that's it. I don't know what I'd go for. Not spinach. I know that much. Spinach is a fraud. You, you know the thing about spinach does not have as much iron in it as people thought. And that was all a PR stunt. That was all just Popeye getting yeah. it completely wrong. Yeah. And it's no, it's, it's all because of a massive mistake. There was a scientist called Dr. Yvonne Wolf, and he got his decimal point in the wrong place. So people ah. thought there was 10 times the amount that there is. But more than that, it's also filled with this stuff called oxalic acid. And oxalic acid will bind to the iron and to the calcium that's in it so you can't even get the iron that's in it out of it ah right so something like broccoli i think i think spinach you can get 10 percent of the iron is bioavailable you know 10 percent of the iron that's in it you can get into your body uh-huh. whereas broccoli it's something like 50 percent i go for that any of the brassicas any that's of the interesting cabbages, that's i when space. i was um uh, recovering from one of the births that i did you know i'd done some kids a while yeah. ago right um <laughs> When I was recovering, I used to eat spinach thinking it had iron in it. And that was a oh, complete waste does. of time. It still does, just not as much as it's the PR said. Mm. It's not going to make you strong to the finish. I had to have a combination of things that were high in iron and, and orange juice because the vitamin C in the orange juice... Now, this may be a myth as well. No, You're about, I can see by your face no, you're about to good. go. Okay, yeah. So if you have orange juice, the vitamin C... Uh, improves the take up of iron in your body. Yeah, I mean, explain what that actually is. So it's the, it's the acids, like actually, basically, think of it. Like vitamin C is an acid. Um, and I still don't see how that helps so with it, iron uptake. This this nasty stuff, this oxalic acid, I was telling you about, that mm. binds to the iron. This is in the spinach. That's in the spinach, which will stop the iron being available to you right. in the spinach, right? Yeah. And the acid which is in the orange juice will displace that acid, so it increases uh, the amount you can get out of it. So you should eat spinach with having a glass of orange juice. You shouldn't have it with a cup of tea because there's chemicals in the tea which will make it even harder to get the iron out of it. Right. 
this is a whole proper science. Like, this is one of those things, nutrition is particularly for people like space who are trying to understand all the time is it's not just the food you have, but what you can get out of it. So it's one of the reasons we know that, like say, cooking is one of the things that makes us human. And one of the reasons we are what we call obligate cooks. We are the only species in the entire planet that cooks our food. It is an obligation to your mother-in-law when she comes round. What, <laughs> what does obligate cooks mean? So we have to cook in order to survive. There was, there was a group in Germany. Do we? Raw, yeah. Yeah, there's because you couldn't live on raw food. Not on only raw food, right? And we, there's proof because there was a group in Germany called the Raw Foodists who tried, and this was like a, a health fad. And they fad. all died. No, <laughs> um, but all the women who were in the diet stopped having periods, and it's yeah. probably tied up to our brains. Like again, we now currently in evolutionary science think that we learned to cook before we became human. And it could even be cooking that sparked our brains getting so big. Roughly about the time that we think we started cooking, our brains got about 20% bigger and our guts got about 20% smaller. So we've got a tiny gut compared to what we should have. It's effective like we've outsourced our gut to the frying pan, you know? One more thing about space salad. Yeah. Is that the thing that they're growing the salad in is called a plant habitat avionics real-time manager or farmer for short. Oh, I like the fact that NASA have time to do hilarious puns as well as intergalactic exploration. It's good. <laughs> I'm very pleased with them. I'm oddly enough, I have a sort of solid story as well. Ah, oh, go on. Um, which is in the future, farms might be entirely run by robots, and this is a Silicon Valley startup called the Iron Ox, uh, and they're trying to they're trying to basically automate the growing of food indoors with robots using artificial intelligence and this kind of extreme monitoring. I might be completely wrong here, but I think that one of the things that we owe much of this, let's call it ultra-careful, growing in space and hydroponics and things like that, and, and robots doing this, it's probably down to cannabis. So I'm aware that in, in certain parts of the world where cannabis is first being uh, crossbred and really intensively managed, it was because it grows really well in artificial conditions, such as your mate's covered with a UV light. Um, so many of these sort of hydroponic techniques and things might well be pioneered in those environments first. So that might tell you again a bit more about California and why those uh, <laughs> inventions are starting there. I like that. Okay, so cannabis farming has uh, massively improved our ability to get good yields out of Yeah, I'm going from that. I remember a book I read years ago. I highly recommend this by a guy called Mark Pollard. And it was called The Botany of Desire. And he looks at a few different plants and how those plants that we've cultivated and changed, how they reflect our desires. And he'd won on, um, he'd won on the desire for intoxication. And he went to a, a cannabis farm in Amsterdam, I think it was. And the techniques and things and the, the crossbreeding and the, the incredible farming. It's admirable a, for the farming. Impressive way to sex up botany. Oh, brilliant book. I, I loved it, man. It, was, it had a chapter on apples for our desire for sweetness. It had a chapter on potatoes for our desire for control. And they were talking about the Monsanto GM mm -hmm. um, potatoes. And then they'd won on the desire for beauty. And it was uh, all about tulips. And do you, do you know about the, the tulip run that there was in... No, 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 no oh, go man. on. So basically, do you know the kind of major financial crash that we had over people going insane about owning their own houses and property markets? Mm. Uh, Holland and the Netherlands had one of those a long time ago over tulip speculation. 
there was a massive stock market crash because people were investing their money in tulips. That's extraordinary. Well, so buying tulip farms? Well, it was not just farms. It was like bulbs became worth... Basically, some people think it might have been the world's first ever recorded speculative bubble. Mm-hmm. And people were investing massively in tulips. So this was, uh, I've looked it up here, it says between ni- 1619 and 1622. And what I'm looking at this moment is currently a graph of the tulip price index. <laughs> and it was because, uh, I think it was, if I can remember this right, it was something that the colours break. It was very hard to predict the colour if you were crossbreeding mm-hmm. from a from a from a bulb and you'd get these sort of spontaneous mutations would occasionally reap up and tulips became a massive luxury item. So one of these tulips I'm looking at here, a Viceroy, that was roughly, geez, a thousand. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Prison times the annual salary. Of a person. Good grief. In um, in Holland at this time. And of course, they're not actually worth anything in the same way that things are only worth what you're willing to pay for them. So there was a huge uh, stock market crash. When was this again? So it was in the 17th century. This tulip mania uh, took off. Pre-Mendel, you see. This is the problem. Because <laughs> he, he would have worked all this colour stuff out. When he was crossbreeding flies and peas to make exactly. pea flies. Yeah, it's exactly the same. <laughs> Surely. No, so it goes to show, like an understanding of botany is is important for us. But yeah, so many of these, uh, it's it's just ridiculous. It is just mad that people who invest so much money in this. It's dangerous how, uh, yeah, trends can sort of take over and people go go herring off after a thing, and then well, it's, it's the pursuit of profit. Is when people realise that people were able to sell these, that everything it was the creation of the market mm. that that became ridiculous. And this speculation has also coincided with the creation of the futures market. So when people could sort of uh, bet on what a price of something would be in the future. And the the no longer tying money to things to things of worth. So the way most money is now fictitious. Yeah. And everything's going to go wrong again eventually. <laughs> yeah, Yay. of course. Of course it is. That is absolutely peak Simon Watt kind of comment. <laughs> <laughs> 
everything's going to go wrong again in the future. Of course it is. Of course it is. That's, you know, we're all heading towards the inevitable heat death of the universe. Ah, Are we not? No. Here's something I didn't, I really, I hadn't known before. I'm looking up what caused this breaking, this, these amazing colours, and it is actually thought to be down to a virus. Um, according to some of this research, the tulip breaking virus, um, it means that one petal has more than one colour. Wow. Hmm. So it's, it's an infection that causes this sort of thing. So it makes it, so it wasn't just actually that you could bat even on what there was at this time, they wouldn't have understood the mechanism behind this. This is brilliant. I'm going to spend the rest of my day reading about tulips. Well, don't go off on a tulip <laughs> learning well, spree okay. quite yet. The point here for in terms of benefiting our species was that we might well be outsourcing all farming to robots by the look of it. And they might do a better job. Who knows? And they might no longer be relying on on sunlight. It might all happen indoors with perfect conditions and you can stop viruses and things. It's all control, really, isn't it? Mm. And I suppose that's what you're getting in the International Space Station, and we might even end up having it here on Earth. Have you uh, ever read The Death of Grass? That's an aside. No, what's that? Oh, that's another great uh, sci-fi book. But um, what happens in that sci-fi book is a, uh, it's either a virus or a bacteria, some kind of disease anyway, kills all the grass on Earth. And then when you remember that wheat is a grass, and rice is a grass, and oats is a grass. Right, yeah. It causes just... It was one of those sort of first sci-fi dystopia films, books, geez. Somebody who didn't want to do any lawn mowing and just thought, I'm going to procrastinate by writing a book about how all the grass dies. Well, again, though, what the book's really about is how society tears itself apart. Yes, well, we're only, we're only two meals away from uh, World War Three, aren't we, or something? Yeah, two meals from revolution. Yeah, there we go. Right, I've got a thing here, because an episode or two ago we were talking about AI being a threat to us. Yeah. And actually, like, there's a guy uh, who's who's really keen on us co-evolving with artificial intelligence. What, is it, what does that mean to be co-evolving? Well, so this guy wants everyone to have a neuroprosthesis, which is uh, a chip in your brain, essentially, which, which will allow everybody to learn faster, maybe be able to download skills like they do for martial arts and the Matrix, co-evolve with artificial intelligence and unlock the secrets of telepathy and maybe even connect into group minds. Okay, I'm with you so far. Who is this guy and why is he making up this nonsense? Okay, so the guy is he's Brian Johnson. He's a 40-year-old tech entrepreneur who sold his business for $800 million and decided to pursue an insanely ambitious dream to take control of evolution and create a better human. Terrifying. I like his ambition. Sounds an awful like our podcast, let's be honest. It does sound an awful <laughs> lot. I think you'd enjoy our podcast, to be honest. Brian, you'll be a big fan. Join us. Yeah. Have you as a guest. Please come on. Brian Johnson, if you're listening, After email you just us. saying that you're talking nonsense. I didn't mean to. It's all, it's all, it's all in jest. So he wants, he wants this neuroprosthesis. No, prosthetic? no, no, no. Neuroprosthesis. Prosthetic. Prosthetic. <laughs> prosthetic to be um, like a thing that everybody could own. Yes. Not just a sort of elite product. And... He's currently, now this is the scary bit, right? Yeah. There's a, a lady in Los Angeles who has been having seizures and they have drilled 11 holes into her brain. Yes. To insert wires and connect her up to loads of computers. Oh, so this was a deep brain stimulation. And right. work out why she's having the seizures and possibly do deep brain stimulation. I don't know, but he's piggybacking on the back of this thing, which is already happening, to 
kind of start understanding how he might be able to connect up computers to the brain and uh, start us off on some kind of co-evolution project. Yeah, I can get this. I think the thing which I find always slightly dangerous with this kind of thinking is that it seems that the human brain is like a computer, is like a machine, and it, it probably isn't. I think it's just a metaphor that we have for right now. Like, mm. you go back to the time that there were steam trains, people understood the brain in terms of a steam engine of some kind. Yes. So I suppose if you can find ways of actually codifying this, um, there, you know, there could be something to this, but like everything he's talking about there is sort of so ambitious, never mind the co-evolution side of it. Like we don't have, we don't have any of the steps to get here really other than we're drilling into people's brains already. Is it, and this is a cynical comment, but is it that we've got to get started on so many projects like this so early that there is an enormous amount of money to be made out of venture capitalists in Silicon Valley by starting up a company that has lofty ambitions like this? Well, it could even be that the, the, the byproducts, like, you know, the way there's that thing about how Teflon was created thanks to the space race and yes. and all those things. It could be that the byproducts that come out of this are, are worthwhile in their own right. Like if this does become a very effective means for treating, you know, th- things like epilepsy, things like Parkinson's. I'm aware of, of versions of Parkinson's which involve deep brain stimulation for people who are resistant to the drugs. And, you know, this stuff matters. So I suppose if we find a better way of if these lead to other techniques because we are just learning how to to stimulate brains and how the electrical connectivity stuff works it's all good really well it's quite interesting some of the tests that they're hoping to do on this lady who seems to be game for having a go at uh, this sort of thing while she's being treated so one of the things they hope to do is upload some signals that are recorded when she's doing some memory tests to a hard drive translate them into digital code translate the code back into electrical signals and send them into the brain. And if that helps spark some images from the memory she was having when the data was gathered, they'll know the algorithm is working. Okay, run that by me again so I can fully understand it. So you do some memory tests on on the patient. So you get them to recall a memory. And then whatever electrical signals are produced by the brain during that, which you're recording via all these wires... That is encoded, and then you can send that code back into the brain Mm -hmm. and then ask the patient whether it is causing these memories to be brought into her consciousness or not. So is is that happening? Is that the research Well, that's what they're going to do with this person. Okay. So this is the plan. The trouble here is always going to be that your testing is only going to be one person's subjective experience. And just if, for instance... It's not a large sample size, let's be honest. Yeah, but it's it's also that just because somebody thinks that they're having a memory, they could be well be having something else, like a hallucination, some kind of art. Like, how do you tell what is real and unreal in your own brain? Well, presumably, though, you do lots and lots and lots of memory tests, and then you get them to, you know, you send the signal back for one specific one. Yeah. And if that's the one that they report to be experiencing then it's working if you do that enough times admittedly you'd need to do it with more people but isn't it that sometimes when research is very groundbreaking you do end up with a kind of like sample size of one to start with because it's one of these very intense 
things where we've only got access to this one person right now. Yeah, everything everything has to start from somewhere, I suppose. Mm. And then obviously, ideally, you get a lot more people with wires sneaking into their brains at some point later on when it's a bit less invasive. And, I do have to uh, say, I'm, I'm more interested in his, uh, his, his ambition, I suppose, in the actual techniques here because, you know, the brain hacking stuff, okay, that's been fascinating sci-fi for years. Um, but his idea that he wants it to, to co-evolve, and I think, as far as I can tell, am I right in thinking that he's seeing this as being necessary because there is a reason to be afraid of AI. Like yes. he, he'd rather that we're, we're growing together than growing apart. Yeah, I think so. Okay. So is it again, that there's, there's a fear that the stuff is happening faster. So we better catch up ourselves. It makes sense. Doesn't it? To try to keep up with the robots rather than allow them just to eventually get to a point where they're, where they're getting so much cleverer so quickly that we can't actually keep up with them at all. If it's all built into our bodies, then we've yeah. then as a species we are leveling up. Whereas if we have <laughs> robots and they develop into insanely clever people who make their own decisions and have their own ethics and yeah, I don't know. Then we're all going to die, Simon. <laughs> I'm just reading now about Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk are uh, launching a sort of chip for the brain type company as well. Oh, I don't know do whether it together? it's together. Oh, because they'd fell out ages back, hadn't they? I was loving the fact they were slagging off each other on Twitter because I thought that must be the bit, the, the bit that really hurts Zuckerberg is that they're having their fight on Twitter rather than Facebook. Yes. Yeah, that's the <laughs> ultimate slight. Oh, I don't think Musk would go onto Facebook to slag off Zuckerberg. That would be... I'd be like... Yeah, you don't go into a man's one house. Get your tanks off my lawn. <laughs> so the next thing that is going to happen with this apparently is... Uh, Brain computer interfaces. That's what the chips are going to be called. Okay. BCIs, electronic microchips that are embedded into the brain to connect our minds to computers. So um, perhaps what's the point? Well, perhaps at the moment you might some people might have like a an Apple Watch connected to their iPhone and that allows them to check the things that are going on, on their phone on their wrist. And the BCI might allow you to just get things pinged directly into your head. I suppose the first thing would actually be ideally looking for measurements, like if they can figure out what's going to cause somebody to fit, for instance, and stop it. So yes. this interface could be one of those things hooked up to treatment. In the same way, like if there's a ways of, there's already techniques for trying to measure the insulin and blood sugar levels in our body. So mm. you could control those things. Exactly. Mix treatment up with the measurement. One thing that fascinates me is the secret labs that these big companies have. So, you know, Google has, is it called Google X, which is like, it's like the crazy mad professor section of Google where the employees are encouraged to come up with bad ideas. And the, so they actually have bad idea brainstorms yeah. in this lab. And then they will go off and they will try to do some of the ideas that they've come up with. I do so, think one of the things that they do quite well is that they allow their people to fail. Yeah, and they give them time off to even just pursue other things. Mm. And they've noticed that it's because actually money and all the traditional things only motivate people so far. They did really good studies in motivation, I believe. They found that one of the things is uh, a feeling of continuous improvement. So like if they can get something which is like a sweet spot of, I don't know, the simple enough guitar songs that make you feel like a rock star after three days. 
So it's just every time you put an effort, you you feel like you're getting better. That is a satisfying thing to feel. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening. I hope you liked that. What's our next episode we got going on, Rich? The next one is next Wednesday, which is going to be the second of our episodes recorded in Cork. Oh, I loved that. That was a good event. We were in Cork City and Neil Delamere is just a joy to work with in any circumstance. Um, Bro, have you got anything coming up? I've got a gig on the 14th of December. I'm going to Winchester to do a, a recording, well, not a recording, a live event of uh, Dead Talks, which is... It's uh, well, it's it, it's lots of talks about things which were once thought to be brilliant ideas and then turned out to be total nonsense. What have I got coming back? Oh, right, on Tuesday the 19th of December, if you're in London, get yourself to Conway Hall because I'm taking part in... Robin Ince's Nine Carols and Lessons for Non-Believers. So that's basically an ultra-geeky, fun night of science and comedy. Robin Ince is there, Jamal Khalili, Lucy Green, Matt Parker, Dr. Simon Singh, John Butterworth, me, Bruce Hood, Helen Keane, Norman Lovett, Audrey Hartburn. I don't haven't seen that act. <laughs> Looking forward to it. But it's a they're really good nights. Does that involve singing? No. Or not automatically. Anyway. Wasn't it? Lessons and Carols once, or is that uh, no longer part of the format? I think it's still called Nine Lessons and Carols. I don't know if it actually means involves any singing. I know I won't be. So they just people book people called Carol. <laughs> and only nine of them. We can't end the podcast on a bad pun, but we are. Bye. Bye. That was Level Up Human, hosted by Simon Watt, produced by Rachel Wheely, and supported by the Wellcome Trust. For more information, go to levelupyoumen.com. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.